So I love the button claws. <laughs> I do. It's wonderful. It's so inclusive. It covers just about anybody. But there's one group of people that I think need additional protection the Amish, because they are not allowed to wear buttons. And to be fair, I don't know if that covers buttons that display something as compared to buttons which fasten. Those might be different categories of buttons. I'm not any kind of Anabaptist. I don't know. But what does the NLRA have to say about the Amish? That's my question. I actually don't know. I mean, I guess I was thinking about it because I mentioned that there was technically an exception for Walmart with a button clause, which was, which to me seems like the whole reason that all, all of these fucking contests of the button thing, is, because we talked about Tesla mm-hmm. or whatever, but I looked it up and like Walmart has an exception for distracting buttons or some shit. It just like, I, I don't know. It, it's like some sort of marketing like, like, bullshit. Like, you're, like, you know, remember the Squidward button that, that's like fucking huge? Yeah, Not yeah. Not allowed at Walmart. Like that meme video of the guy who shows up at school and he's wearing a backpack that's as big as he is. And they're like, what the fuck are you doing? And he just kind of whips it around dangerously in the hallway. It's like that, but you have a button the size of a serving plate on your chest. And you're just winging it like Captain America. Yeah, yeah. The uh, yeah, previous sl- slightly more conservative NLRB ruled against those. Wow. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking repression. Fucking sucks. <laughs> yeah. I mean... So it's kind of hard to transition from the repression of not being uh, able to wear a button into the repression of actually being physically attacked by the cops. But we're going to do it, folks. We can do these verbal gymnastics here on Work Stoppage. That's why you listen to the show. <laughs> um, That's right. We're powerful. <laughs> but yeah, like so I wanted to give a quick update before we get into the whole regular show. Because, I mean, folks, if you've been listening for a little bit, you might be aware that there's been a local strike here in Providence that I've been going to do support for um with my my psl branch and this past week where they've now been on strike for almost three months uh i showed up at the picket line to find a real big hullabaloo going on because uh just a couple of hours before i was there the cops decided to just fucking attack the picket line jesus and like as they are known to do yeah and this is one of those things that's been so frustrating where like Ever since the strike started, the like the company has been hiring armed guards to harass the strikers. The the cops have basically been preventing workers from even doing peaceful picketing. Like when you go, like they'll well, walk. You mentioned that last time you were there, they were like timing out exactly like two minutes of blocking and then going away and then coming back for two more minutes or whatever it was to because te- the, the technicality is within the law or whatever. Well, and then the cops decided they weren't even going to allow that and have since been like, if you even try and block somebody from getting into the DHL lot, which is like where these Teamsters are striking, there's this DHL place in Pawtucket, which is like, north north providence um and that if you get in their way like the cops immediately just get out get out of the way move 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 and they're just constantly threatening people um well it's like a it's like a cliche observation at this point where people are smug they're like you know a lot of cops don't even understand the law so it's important for you to know the law and it's like actually cops don't understand the law because they don't need to because they can violate it or arrest you even when you're not violating it and they will be protected anyway. Yeah. And, uh, well, based on that, they decided to make up their own law even more, uh, on this past Friday where, so, you know, it's Friday. So there was, uh, some more teamsters from local, other locals in the area had come down to, you know, show their support, show strength on the picket line. 
And this was also conveniently right after the governor had come down to do a photo op on the line, uh, which is exactly all of the actual help he's been willing to give the strikers, which is literally just Mm. showing up and not doing anything. Um, well, that's slightly more than President Biden, who tweets the day afterward about how he supports the workers. Yeah. Well, and then it's like, <laughs> I support these workers, and then gives the company the workers are striking against like a $10 billion Defense Department contract. <laughs> yeah. In the case of Amazon. Exactly. But like, so these workers, they're, they're just walking the picket line, doing their normal thing. They're not really blocking cars because the cops haven't been letting them. And then the cops just decided to get all fucking aggro in people's faces, like start threatening people verbally, start like squaring up right in the face of, of strikers and then just go nuts. And there's like videos of it online that you or at least partial videos that you can see. They just start taking people to the ground and pepper spraying the whole fucking crowd of strikers who weren't doing anything. They're just walking the line. They didn't, they didn't, nobody, nobody hit a cop. Nobody pushed a cop. Nobody threatened a cop. None of that happened. It was literally just the cops decided they didn't like the the fucking workers walking the picket line and they wanted to show who's boss and they decided to do that by making up the law again, attacking the strikers, mm-hmm. pepper spraying the shit out of everybody there and arresting five people. So wow. that's fucking no, insane. Fuck the police. That's correct. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, we'll see. Uh, I mean, as frustrating as this is, it's like the national teamsters are behind this local. Like they're not gonna, they're not gonna run out of resources. They're not going to fucking quit. So it's just so like, it's one of those things like, cause I can come on here and, and talk all the time about how cops defend capital, not people. And everybody I think who's been to any protest knows that, but it's a, you know, it's one thing to say it. And then it's another thing for you to go, you know, it's like, I don't even have to say it. That's the thing. Like I go and talk to the workers and they're all saying it themselves. Like, you know, like when you experience right. this stuff for yourself, it's like, I don't even have to do agitation. They're seeing the class struggle play out in real time as they're a part of it. So yeah. anyways, as is expected. Yeah. All this to say, fuck the police, uh, all support, uh, Teamsters local 251 in their strike, which they are going to win against DHL. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Well, and on that absolutely correct <laughs> and frankly, uncontroversial statement, <laughs> everybody your favorite labor podcast we're an entirely listener supported show so thank you so much for the support that you give us on patreon if you're not in the discord get in there it's even cheaper than the patreon free 99 (laughs) and we're taking we're taking off 99 cents folks uh if you are a patron and you don't have stickers yet just message us on patreon and we will send them to you post haste and uh if you want to help the show a little bit more you can leave a five-star review on apple podcasts or anywhere you think it will help uh leave a bad review of a scam app on the Google Play Store and mention our show. <laughs> That's right. Always. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we're going to start this week with a happy follow-up uh, for once. Mm-hmm. Uh, so folks, uh, you know, listeners will be aware that we've been covering this uh, election that had been coming up in Louisville the with the Heine Brothers ca- uh, Coffee Company, which is like a local chain in the area, largely centered in Louisville, but also the you know, surrounding region. 
And they've been organizing with 32BJSEIU to try and, you know, join the big wave of organizing in the cafe industry that we've been seeing all over the country. And this past week, we got, you know, really great news when we found out that they had won their union election. And unlike a lot of these places, aren't doing it store by store. This was across the whole chain. Mm-hmm. So the this was like 17 different locations in the Metro Louisville area. And so in addition to the three unionized Starbucks that are in Louisville, there are now 20 unionized coffee shops in the greater Metro Louisville area, which fucking rules. And yeah. there might be some new ones coming up soon because there's another local chain, Synergos, which is also unionizing. Yeah. That's really interesting. And I'm kind of fascinated by the tactic of doing all of the stores in the city at once. Do you know if that was a, like a, a, a bargaining unit consideration that they hashed out or if that was just something that they were able well, to do for another reason? So the way that I understand the way that these drives happen is it's entirely up to the workers. They have gone out and mm-hmm. they've organized at all of these different locations. They went to they, they said, hey, we've got this support across all of the different restaurants. And so when they filed for their election at and they sent their petition into the NLRB. Basically, they said, hey, uh, we want all of the stores included. And then, you know, I mean, I don't remember if this was the case, but I mean, usually the company would then be like, oh, no, you have to do each store individually, which usually it would right. be the opposite, because if you were doing an individual store, they would be like, no, you have to do all the stores at once. Right. And so whichever one would be in the company's favor is going to be the one that they're going to try to push for. And obviously the NLRB tends to actually rule on the side of workers in that particular like small detail, though usually bargaining units can sometimes shift a little bit. Like they might make Mm -hmm. warehouse workers be separate from this or that, or, you know, depending on how compelling the, the company is to the state. But yeah, I'm, I'm almost certain that this is because those people have been on the ground in every single store. It's like Starbucks couldn't do that because there's 7,000 fucking stores. Yeah. I mean, maybe right. maybe they could do like, you know, I don't know, all of the stores in one city at one time. But even then, I think because of the way that they've already done it store by store, there would be a little bit more of a contestation of that. Uh, so, yeah, basically, it's just they organize their asses off. Yeah, and those citywide organizing efforts really, I mean, are spoken for by the results. They had 220 workers who voted across the chain, and they ended up winning 97 to 60, which is not exactly a landslide, but it's a pretty safe outcome. It does seem like they weren't really running much risk of losing this election. Yeah, I mean, it's it's great to see that, you know, that that, that tactical decision has paid off, like seeing them come away with this win. And, and now, actually, I think the... F- the thing that's really interesting, though, about that tactical choice to, to to actually unionize all the stores is that now they're the second biggest cafe union in the country. <laughs> that rules so much. <laughs> after only Starbucks Workers United, which is, of course, you know, obviously the largest one. Um, and yeah, so now, you know, the it, we've discussed in the past, like the union busting that these workers faced before their vote, uh, you know. A lot of the same playbook as you see from the big companies. They had captive audience meetings. There was a store closure with like with the first store that had 100% union support. Uh, there was a retaliatory firing of a supportive manager. And yet, again, just like with so many of the Starbucks locations, you know, the they broke out all of these methods to smash the union drive, and it didn't work. So... <laughs> I mean, um, like, when they ruin your fucking life, you are just like, you know what, fuck these people, we are going to be a union. It's just That's just the kind of mentality of a lot of uh, people 
organizing these days. Thank goodness. And you see that from the workers themselves. You have Gammy Ray, who's a worker at the chain, who told Spectrum News 1 that, quote, winning this election means so much to all of us who have spent months organizing, talking to our coworkers, and bringing our friends and coworkers together to fight for something bigger than ourselves, but that we will all benefit from. Uh, we owe so much to the generations of undervalued workers and the union organizers who came before us, and we are honored to carry on this fight in their honor. Hell yeah. And, uh, I mean, that's a really eloquent statement. I think that that is more class conscious than we see even some of the, you know, some some other unions uh, bring up. I mean, there's obviously, like, the, you know, we can't do this without all of you statements that we've heard from unions, but uh, but also, like, to recognize, like, the people who have labored without, you know, decent conditions, and even the people who had tried to organize before, I think mm-hmm. that that is a, uh, a really, really awesome sentiment to be acknowledging. And, and if they're really looking and building their, their struggle around that, that, like, historical precedent, I think that that would be another indicator as to why they won. Sure. Well, in contrast to what the company is saying, which is they're like, okay, if you win the election, we'll honor it. And then they add, quote, we look forward to putting this election <laughs> behind us. Shut up. Are you a child? <laughs> Fuck you. Yeah. Oh, well, and also that's them being like, oh, well, let's quick get to bargaining because we got to figure out this labor peace situation and to forget that we just totally repressed all of your your coworkers and friends and, you know, yeah. just, uh, you know, g- give us a break. You know, give it's the it's the appeal to the second chance uh, thing. Yeah. That, th- that they're going to be using there. Yeah, it's like, hey, everybody, everything's going great, right? Hey, you'd have uh, just weird <laughs> about all that, like retaliatory firing and closing of stores, and it's all water under the bridge, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, you got us. You won. <laughs> ah, <laughs> who wants a pizza party? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So you know, the workers are now uh, focused on you know bargaining for their first contract, which will, as you know, as we've discussed, is probably going to be another long fight, but. Uh, I mean, Mm -hmm. I've just been encouraged by the fact that not only did these folks just, you know, after a few months of organizing, put together the second largest cafe union in the country, uh, but the fact that part of the reason I mentioned that there's that other chain in in Louisville that is unionizing, Synergos, is that speaking to the class consciousness, you know, of the workers involved in this, in a lot of their media, that's how I found out about it, was them not just being like, hey, we won, great for us, we're the best, which would be fine um, as a sentiment, mm-hmm. but also being like, and yeah, and there's these other folks that are also unionizing, and we want to like, you know, bring this to other chains all over the place, and the understanding that it's like, this only works if we unionize everyone, <laughs> and that's been really, really encouraging to see. So uh, yeah, definitely you know, looking forward to these folks winning a really great first contract. Yeah, none of that mistaken like, oh, you know, n- s- you know, some people need a union. Right. No, everybody right. needs a fucking union. That's right. Uh, right. Well, as long as we're talking about the effects of of real collective action, uh, let's talk about uh, six thousand teachers who hit the picket line September seventh in Seattle, and uh, this delaying the start of the school year for fifty thousand students across the Seattle school district. Uh, so these teachers have been have gone on strike. Uh, relevant to some issues that are very similar to the problems we've seen in basically every school across the country, insufficient staffing, particularly in programs like special education and multi-language learning. And it's not listed, but I have to imagine things like arts and social sciences are under attack as well. Uh, Both the district and the union agree on changes to be made to those programs to improve learning for students. But the district also wants to expand programs without any additional staff, which 
is just understaffing, but doing it a different yeah. way. It's labor intensification. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, like reading about this was just one of those things that I can totally see how, like, I can see how this would happen in a meeting. Like, how they're so mm-hmm. progressive. Yeah, because you'd be like, these teachers come to the table and they're like, we really need to revamp our special education and, you know, multilingual education. Like, we're not serving these students with enough of the resources that they need. And we really need to expand these programs and redesign them to make them more effective. And the school's like, yes, we agree. You're totally right. And then, <laughs> then everybody sits there for a second, like, why did you agree with us? <laughs> and then they yeah. drop the yeah. other shoe of like, we, we absolutely agree. You should retool those programs with no additional resources whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at this point, the school district's basically saying like, we'll agree to anything except more pay, better benefits or hiring more staff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anything else is fine with us. <laughs> yeah. You can do all these changes uh, with no resources, which is impossible, but we're happy to verbally support you. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, th- thoughts and prayers. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, like, more or less, more like or special less. education teacher Alicia Nikas told uh, Liberation News, "We're out here because we want a contract that reflects the needs of our students and the effort and workload of our staff." The district has come together with a task force with uh, Seattle Education Association representatives, and they have recommendations for special education that I think are really important. But the district doesn't seem to understand that to roll out a new and inclusive, expansive special education and multilanguage learner system takes an investment. It's not a discount or a budget cut. And the concern is this is how they are going to look at it. This is a real workload increase. It's a collaboration increase. And frankly, it needs to be a staffing increase. And that's where the hangup is. I mean, this really stings to hear because like teachers are very much like a lot of other jobs we talk about, like nurses already criminally understaffed Mm -hmm. across the entire country. But then when you add the fact that these are special education teachers we're talking about, they are in particular, even among teachers, woefully undersupported and understaffed and uh you know a lot of people will say like oh special education teachers already have smaller class sizes than other teachers but it's like in a special education environment you're tailoring the education very particularly to individual students on on a very one-to-one basis it's like you need really really small class sizes to make sure that those teachers are giving those kids the best opportunities well and they wouldn't want to do that i mean the system is inherently ableist in that way i mean there's no way that they they would want to invest in the in the lives of these people that they deem to be undeserving yeah i mean so much of like i think the way that school administrations not attributing this to any individual, but just like a systemic level views Mm -hmm. special education in the American education system is more of as like a way to warehouse what they have deemed as like disruptive kids. And, and therefore, you know, it's thought of as like, Oh, this is just like daycare instead of education, which is of course, bullshit doesn't help anybody and just ends up harming these kids that are absolutely capable of learning. They just need a a curriculum geared towards them as anyone does since everybody has different methods of learning. And so I think it's really important that, you know, these teachers are out there not just caving on this stuff and are like, we want to give the best possible education to these students, but we need to have the resources to do it. And the school administration is refusing to do it. And like the union points out the numbers for how bad this is on their website, where they say, 93% of us are working more than our assigned or contract hours, and 25% of us are working 10 plus additional hours a week. 
We must incentivize Seattle public schools to reduce workloads and hire additional staff to reduce caseloads. And I mean, like, especially in the face of inflation, I mean, mm-hmm. they're not getting their their the raises are are not gonna. Uh, I mean, they're basically going to take pay cuts in the face of the this labor intensification. Yeah. And I mean, it, it's one of those things where, you know, we see with the, the, cause we talk about inflation and of course that's sort of a treated as this amorphous force of nature, but like the broader, like cost of living crisis is, is only compounded in major metropolitan areas because everything's already more expensive there. And so when everything then proceeds to get even more expensive, it just, piles up on people at the bottom of the income Mm -hmm. ladder. And so like, there's so many issues that are vital here, but I mean, one of the things that I really appreciated about this strike is that, you know, we see this every time there's a teacher strike, the way that the media and right-wing politicians, which includes a lot of Democrats tend to try and attack the teachers during the strike is they try to basically say that they're abandoning the kids by not teaching. They're like, come on, these kids have already suffered through years of pandemic learning loss. I mean, you've heard all these talking points. But one of the things that really, I think, helps counter that here is that immediately, even before the strike actually kicked off, the Seattle Student Union issued a statement in total solidarity with the workers, saying, as student leaders Mm -hmm. in the Seattle Public Schools District, we unequivocally support Seattle Education Association's demands and decision to strike. We urge Seattle Public Schools to come back to the bargaining table and engage in good faith negotiations. And that rocks. Getting them early. You love to see it. Hell yeah. Yeah, Yeah, because... Well, and it it helps fight back against the thing that you were just talking about, which you you see in like a lot of different areas of the economy. Like I was watching some mainstream press coverage of the looming freight strike, and they were saying things like the the companies will be fast forced to to pass on these costs to consumers, forced. and it's like how you can't you can't pit the consumers against the rail workers, and you see that on display here. It's like the kids who you could consider the quote unquote consumers of the school are standing against this and the parents who are the other potential candidates for who's a consumer in a school environment are also standing against this because the Seattle Times interviewed multiple parents who said that despite the disruption that the strike was causing they didn't blame the teachers Karen Rains who has three kids in school affected by the strike told the Times quote I think they deserve everything and more which is like way to fucking go Karen <laughs> that's right no shit <laughs> Damn, the rare good Karens finally (laughs) well i mean that of course they would have to be in support of a union i mean that's right otherwise i I don't know i don't know where i was going with that joke (laughs) (laughs) but yeah like i mean it's great to see that you know you've got the teachers the students and at least a decent chunk of the parents united behind the demands that the teachers are making because like i mean uh, we know we talk about how community is important to win any strike but I think when it comes to like public workers broadly and teachers even more specifically, it's just because of how invested, you know, at, understandably, a parent is going to be in the education of their kids and, of course, how invested the mm-hmm. kids are in their own education. It's so important to have those groups on the same page if you're going to stare down the local or state government, especially when, uh, as we see in a bunch of states, including Washington state, where these public workers do not technically actually have the right to strike Mm -hmm. because like while traditionally the, I guess in, in recent history, the state government has not actually 
invoked this this like provision within their law, but there isn't actually any right to strike for public workers in Washington. So it is possible that the school district could take the union to court and try and get an injunction ruling the strike illegal. Um, so the press that I've read from the area doesn't seem to think that that's particularly likely, but if the strike goes on for a long time and becomes acrimonious, I think that that possibility will increase because uh, if there's one thing we have found employers love to do, it is weaponize the court system <laughs> against their employees. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. and I mean, like, this is also, we've talked about this so many times of, like, what does it mean to be on an illegal strike? It right. means what are the repercussions? Right. And and so by looking at it this way, where they really are seeing this quote unquote illegal strike the way that it is as something that they can surmount to at least some extent. Um, and and so you know, I guess uh, it's uh, it's really good that they're that they're taking that into consideration. Yeah. So I mean, so far I, I would have to say I mean the teachers have stayed strong. They they the first couple of days of the school year have already been canceled because of this. Mm-hmm. Um, including, you know, obviously we're recording this on Monday, uh, September 12th. And as of t- like today's, the, the strike is still on I, again, teacher strikes don't tend to last that long. So I would imagine mm-hmm. we'll probably see a resolution this week, but the fact that the students and the community are behind them, I think gives them a little more protection from the possibility of the state coming in and being like, actually this strike is illegal. You have to go back. Not Totally, because we don't live in a real democracy, but it makes it mm-hmm. more potentially risky for the local politicians to try that. So, Well, and also, I mean, luckily, the way that they've gotten all this community support, the school district has not been able to levy the... Uh, strike being at the beginning of the school year against them saying oh no we're just doing teacher development right or right. or this or, or or whatever other bullshit because when we talked about the core worker strike of 2012 they waited until the second week because they knew that 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 the you know district was going to try to pull that shit but uh, i think that with the coordination of the seattle teachers uh, they didn't actually have to worry about that and were able to strike right there on the first week without uh, those particular repercussions yeah, so so solidarity yeah. with these teachers. I mean, it's so wild to see people argue that like their demands are unreasonable. It's like they want you to devote resources to special ed, <laughs> and you're gonna call them what greedy? Like, come the fuck on. So, anyways, yeah. I hope they win everything that they're asking for because what they're asking for is really the bare minimum. So, yeah, well, and teachers in this country have been through a really, really long slog over the last few decades honestly in terms of just having their conditions worsened and speaking of people who have gone through a long slog to accomplish something let's talk about the google cafeteria workers who have been organized in a massive multi-year long union drive by unite here since 2018 and in that time the union has organized over 4,000 workers at google constituting 90 percent of the company's food service staff uh, which is part of their broader goal of unionizing support staff all over silicon valley And we've actually reported on this a couple of times. I think the first time we mentioned it was over a year ago at this point, because uh, this has just been such a massive and longstanding drive. So Google has tens of thousands of support workers, cooks, servers, sanitation staff, drivers, security guards, and a large percentage of those who work at Google do not work directly for Google. Like much of the tech industry, Google operates on a two-tiered model with very highly paid software engineers directly employed by the company, while thousands of 
clearly vital workers are just contractors working for staffing agencies. And these workers, unsurprisingly, make far less on average and have far fewer benefits. And it's for that reason that Unite here has targeted them for the last several years of organizing. Well, and it makes sense. I mean, support staff are some of the most frequently like underappreciated and overexploited mm-hmm. workers in any industry, especially, I mean, with this kind of multi-tiered status that Google is using. Uh, and I mean, this I don't think is in our notes, but I think that it w- was the the board ruled recently that there was an obligation to bargain when indirectly employing workers. Is that on? The, I don't mm. know if it's on national. We'll probably bring that into the next episode. But so hopefully there is also some additional rules coming up from the NLRB that's going to actually force Google themselves to bargain oh, with the, some of these workers. The joint employer rule reclassification that they've they've. Yeah, I'm not sure. If this would apply here, but that would I, it could, and that would be really interesting because if they could make Google the joint employer with the contracting service, I mean, in this case, you know, United here's already organized around ninety percent of the Google workers. But if mm-hmm. you can apply that, that might make it easier for them to break into some of the other like big tech companies like, you know, Microsoft or Apple or Amazon, who also have, you know, thousands and thousands of these contracted support workers and being able to put them into one bargaining unit, like by making the tech company, the joint employer that could potentially, you know, make it easier than having to do a shop by shop drive. Um, but I'm not sure if that rule applies here. I we'd have to look into that more. But um, yeah, but also I think this highlights the uh, you know the the need, and I kind of alluded to this the the need to first unionize these people who are actually at the bottom of the totem pole because so often people are like oh when are the engineers gonna finally stand up and have a union like yeah there's still the you know the alphabet workers union like solidarity union but it's not like a a a strong possibly rank and file union like this like this particular drive created yeah and Mm -hmm. i i think one of the things that's so impressive about this drive is that they actually put in this work, like five years of organizing work to get these thousands and thousands of workers at 23 different Google offices all over the country. And yet, I, I mean, up until this report from the Washington Post, I, I mean, yeah, we've touched on it like a couple of times, but it was like it hadn't hit this quite of a scale yet. And yet, other again, other than this Washington Post report, it hasn't gotten a lot of discussion despite the fact that you know that 4000 workers is not that far off from the scale of say like what Starbucks Workers United has has unionized granted they've done that in you know 9 months not 5 years uh but like this is a very big win because i mean everybody that we've ever talked to about the tech industry who's ever worked in it at all points to that the problem of the two tier work system but the level of exploitation you know being faced by so many of these support workers is just through the roof and like for instance recently the the unite here has been expanding their organizing drive to google offices in the south you know hoping to bring the cafeteria staff at like for instance google's office in atlanta who are employed by the contracting firm sodexo into the fold as union workers and this is of course you know as we talked about like in the South, you got right to work laws, you got hard right wing governments, and a whole lot of issues that make it difficult to organize there. But they've been able to, you know, with this long, you know, slow organizing campaign, they've been able to still make inroads. And and on on Friday, September second, Sodexo actually reached a neutrality agreement with Unite here, pledging not to oppose the union if basically allowing them to go through card check. 
saying that if you get a, a majority of the workers to sign cards, we'll voluntarily recognize the union, which that would be a huge win because like the, the union being in Unite Here has already made a big difference materially for so many of these Google cafeteria workers. Like at the jobs at the Atlanta facility right now, working for Sodexo, workers make $15 an hour, which for Georgia- it's nothing. <laughs> for Georgia is higher oh, than okay. a lot of other jobs, but it's still not a living wage. I mean, it's, but it's one of those things that, you know, how many, how many places have we talked about where they pay a shit wage, but their shit wage is slightly higher than everybody else in the areas. So they act as if they're like doing you a favor by giving you that mm -hmm. job. And, but the other thing that, that comes with this is not only are they only making $15 an hour, they also have really high health insurance premiums. Whereas at the cafeterias that Unite Here has unionized, the average pay for workers is $24 an hour, which is 60% higher than the workers are currently making. And they pay little to nothing for their healthcare premiums. So, Oh yeah, but they got to pay those nasty dues. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man. That, we got some, we'll talk about that in the next story that we're about to hit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah. So there was an example here, which I just thought was so great. Cause it's, they talked to this worker, um, Richard Ramirez, who works at Google's office in Seattle. And he, this is one of the things I really liked about this because he was not immediately a super pro union worker. He's basically like, look, we're making $20 an hour. Yeah, I have to commute really long to get into the city and that sucks because I can't afford to live in the Seattle area. But $20 an hour is better than most of these other places. So I, I don't know. I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to risk losing my job, which is, you can understand that attitude. It's like, it's, it's a bit wrong headed, but you can get like, again, we're conditioned to think that way. It's totally understandable to be in that headspace. Mm -hmm. And so he was not initially a big union supporter, but since his office voted for the union, he's seen huge benefits. Like he now makes $27 an hour. So, I mean, that's huge. That's like a 35% a pay increase just from winning the union election. That, that's close to making overtime all the yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, on top of that, uh, he was he said that uh, he also went from paying for health insurance to not having to pay for health, health insurance. Absolutely, which is so huge. So, yeah. yeah, that's and, enormous. And I mean, he literally said, quote, since we unionized, I've bought a home. And that was basically only possible because we unionized, end quote. And so it's like a mm -hmm. classic story of, uh, oh, yeah, one year we got uh, rocks and the next year we got bicycles. Tell <laughs> your dad that the year we got bicycles was the year we got the union. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, this this drive is fantastic, like excellent work by Unite Here. And it's just, I, I do think, to your point, though, that what we were talking about, Lena, about, you know, the misconceptions I think a lot of folks have about who works in the tech industry, because I think a lot of people are like, the tech industry, that's just software engineers, as if you could run a company that only consists of software engineers. <laughs> yeah, it's just 16 coders playing ping pong for 40 <laughs> right. hours a week, and that's how software gets right. made. Right, I'm like, yeah, that would definitely, I'm like, <laughs> a, literally a week into that, the like place would turn into like Lord of the Flies with nobody cleaning the office, nobody would know how to get, you'd have food wrappers everywhere, It's it would be yeah, a disaster. You, put down a, a nice fresh layer of Taco Bell wrappers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> and that's not to throw shade at the, the software engineers, but it's just like, no, it is. I mean, well, a little bit, but, like, <laughs> but, it, but also it's just like, it takes more people to run a company than just software engineers. Yes. And, and one of the things that I think is so important about this is that obviously I think the pitch to workers that are more exploited like this is a little easier 
for like why you need a union where somebody may be making six figures even if they are still being extremely exploited which most software engineers are because that's the thing like when you compare pay rate to the profit rate at so many of these companies that rate of exploitation is very high even if the wages are also high. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's literally the exact same phenomenon we see where a guy is like, I'm a welder and I make $25 an hour. And if you give burger flippers right. $18 <laughs> right. an hour, blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, you should get $35 an hour then. We're not trying to stop you from getting a pay raise, dude. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, like, because the amount of, of money that the workers make for the company is hundreds, if not thousands of dollars an hour, and they're getting... You know, maybe including benefits, 40 bucks. Right, which is why I think this drive is so helpful because now what I would really hope is that the the groups, maybe if they're affiliated with CWA since they've been one of the most active in tech organizing, or even if it's an independent union like the Alphabet Workers Union, we need those groups to be working with Unite Here to be like, hey, look at what we got for the workers that are contractors. Uh, they're, you know, they're just as vital to this company and we're all being exploited by the same tech overlords. And so it's important that we work together because as we've seen it so many, like how many places have we seen where the, like, for instance, like John Deere, you have the blue collar workers organized and the engineers are not. And then when the blue collar workers go on strike, they try and use engineers as strike breakers. And that usually doesn't really work very well, but those sorts of divisions can make like, you know, that sort of worker solidarity harder. And so I think it's so important that if we're going to see this stuff be really successful, that we start seeing the tech workers and the support workers coming together, if not in the exact same union, then in a coalition that works together. Because that's the the way that we're eventually really going to be able to get workers the, you know, the wages, the benefits, the working conditions that they really deserve is by stand, by tech workers and the support staff fighting together. Yeah. yeah, well, and when you have those kinds of connections between unions or groups within unions, you get things like solidarity exactly. strikes, solidarity actions like slowdowns or, you know, uh, concerted, like taking time off all at the same time, blah, blah, blah. Like there's a lot of different things you can do when you are plugged into each other's organizing apparatuses in that way. 100%. Yeah. Well, and to shift gears a little bit, we're going to be moving to uh, target workers, which we have historically been covering the the drive in Virginia, which is still, you know, we are going to hear more from that in the future. But uh, workers in Pueblo, Colorado have actually begun their union drive and have announced that their union exists. Yeah, this is very exciting to see. This is from a report out of the Pueblo Chieftain, where three weeks ago on August 18th, Workers at this store in Pueblo at the Dillon Drive location started handing out union cards uh, uh, as a first step towards, you know, potentially filing for an election. Um, So this is really exciting. This is a little bit different than the drive in Virginia, uh, just because the fact these workers are organizing with UFCW, uh, Local 7, instead of the IWW. But, I mean, it's the same company. It's pretty much the same issues. Like, uh, you know, the Target's out here bragging about their industry-leading wages of $15 an hour. Uh, and also like, you know, the, the rampant mishandling of COVID, which is a problem everywhere, but in the service sector is especially bad. Like workers have reported that because the company basically just stopped telling workers when their coworkers Mm -hmm. got sick with COVID, they, that's just led to huge outbreaks at the store. And at one point this July, there were 15 workers out at once 
with the virus because of the fact that the management just refuses to tell anybody anything. So, uh, I mean, I'm sure that a lot of people have experienced that in their workplaces as well. I mean, whether, you know, on, on the scale of a target with 15 workers being out on, on a particular day or week, you know, that's that's pretty significant. I mean, if you were in a smaller shop and there were three people gone, that might totally fuck up your whole week. For sure. So I'm sure a lot of people mm-hmm. have experienced that. Yeah. And I mean, just speaking to the issue of the supposed leading wages, like one worker told the Pueblo chieftain, quote, people who have worked there 18, 20 or 30 plus years that are barely making a little over a team member that is just starting. Because, again, this is the problem. Even if the starting wages are, I guess, maybe a little better than some of the other places, that doesn't mean much if, like, there's no there's no way to go up from there. Like, if you've been working Mm -hmm. there for 20 years and you make $19 an hour, well, that $15 an hour starting wage doesn't really mean that much. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, like if they went from say 12 to $15 starting wage, that $3 raise isn't seen by any of the legacy workers. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and, and then in addition to that, uh, you know, in parallel to basically every other workplace in the country, Target has also used the pandemic as an opportunity to embrace lean staffing, Mm -hmm. which means that in addition to not paying their workers who have been there for a long time more money, they're laying people off and firing them more and hiring less, which is just like... Lowered staffing causes just as many fucking problems as regular overworked staff Mm -hmm. or underpaid staff. You know, it's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And so, like, unsurprisingly, since they became aware of the union drives, Target has deployed, you know, the the standard union-busting playbook. Like, I mean, as we've talked about on the show a few times, Target, despite being a gigantic company, doesn't have any union stores for a reason. They are very aggressive about their mm-hmm. union busting. So, like, uh, the staff have these morning huddles where they get together and the, they do their announcements and set out goals or whatever, you know, all the, the, the morning managerial meeting, basically. And they have been using those much like workers, much like managers at the Virginia store did, to spread lies to workers about unions, telling them, and this is, like, kind of to what you were saying earlier, John, telling them that, oh, well, if you join a union, you could have to pay $900 a year in dues okay what two (laughs) things to say about that one no you won't and two that's not that much (laughs) yeah if you get if you get a 35 percent raise 900 dollars a year isn't even gonna be a significant fraction of that yeah it's it's literally less than 20 dollars a week uh, but yeah. it's also not, it's like, that's not, UFCW has not announced that as the dues. Right. So they're just making that number up. And I'm sure they have some like, Oh, look, we found a UFCW contract from a completely different state in a completely different business. And that that's what the dues are, even though it has nothing to do with, you know, this bargaining unit. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to know where they got that number, be- like a Zillow mortgage calculator. <laughs> <Right. or something. laughs> yeah. I mean, like they, they could be comparing that to workers who make a hundred thousand dollars a year. Right. Right. Exactly. Right. And, and of course, you know, breaking out that standard. Well, if you unionize, we, we just won't be able to have the same relationship. You won't be able to talk to a manager without a union representative present, which <laughs> first off, I'm just like, Hey, I don't think a, that's the threat. That's not true. I'm like, Hey, I don't think that's the threat that you think it is. <laughs> Cause I don't right. want to talk to my manager without a union rep present. 
And also, B, yeah, as you said, it's also just not true. Uh, yeah, because having wine garden rights does not actually mean you have to invoke them. It just means that you should. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, with like so many things about the union, every time they try and say something scary about it, it's like, uh, don't threaten me with a good time. <laughs> like- <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's like, oh, you mean you won't be able to just come over and tell me I now have to work the same job as the guy you just fired and the job I was already doing? Oh damn, right. that sounds terrible. <laughs> like, but yeah. Oh it's, yeah, you're you're not gonna pull me into a a meeting that's just me and two other managers and and right. be real like fucking uh, classist or or ableist or fucking probably likely racist as well in the in the disciplinary mm-hmm. functions that are going on. Yeah. So I mean, it's. As annoying and 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 shitty as these tactics are, they are kind of to be expected. And you know, of course, they're holding captive audience meetings, one on ones, all the sorts of things that we usually see. And to the point that the workers at the Pueblo store are already considering filing unfair labor practice charges against the store for their tactics. Especially, know as we now know, the current NLRB is at least sympathetic to the argument that any captive audience meetings are themselves unfair labor practices. Uh, and <laughs> There was one anecdote from this that I could not leave out of this story, which is just because I'm like, this is so cliche that we have done multiple memes about it in the meme review, which is after they heard about the union drive, managers suddenly had a day where they're like, well, you know what? We got to thank you all for all the hard work you're doing. Here's a sheet cake we got that says, thank you for all you do on it. (laughs) Like, they, a sheet cake. They literally did the, oh, well, you know, I know you say you want a union, but have you considered sheet cake? <laughs> yeah, you know, the whole food thing is really condescending in so many ways. I mean, pizza in its own right is only available to, like, people who don't have dairy restrictions or other sorts of dietary restrictions. Cakes being, like, you know, a issue for people with diabetes. Uh, like, I, I, I just think... Well, and- I, I don't know. It's, it's just so it's, insulting. It's, it's also a type of condescending where it's like, do you think workers can't go to Costco by themselves? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. It's like, do you think that the workers who you are paying dog shit wages don't know how cheap a sheet cake is? <laughs> yeah, it's it's ridiculous. So, I mean, this is it's early stages of the union drive here uh, at this store in Pueblo. So in I, I wouldn't anticipate, you know, an NLRB election tomorrow, but it's definitely very encouraging because Target has been like Walmart, like Amazon, one of those nuts that has been really tough for unions to crack because of the really high turnover rate and the really aggressive union busting that they do. So the fact that you know they, they, they rolled out this whole campaign in Virginia to try and crush the union there, which is still ongoing, and yet because of how bad the conditions are, you still are going to have workers bringing this up because it's like you can union bust all you want. That doesn't solve the fundamental contradiction. So it's it really right. encouraging to see this going on. And it will definitely be one to watch because if they can pull it off, I mean, the first union target, that would be an enormous win, a huge step in the labor movement. So we will definitely be following this one going forward. Yeah. And in another pivot, uh, we're going to be talking about video effects workers who are going to who are unionizing against absolutely horrid conditions. I mean like you might not realize this, but or you know actually you probably do. Literally everything in TV and movies these days is 
visual effects. It there is. are green screens and Ugh. and motion capture suits uh, for literally everything. I mean, you could. Well, I I, I I just saw the the trailer for the new live action Little Mermaid movie, and I remember looking at it and thinking like, "Wow, look at all that money!" <laughs> and then I read this story, and I was like, "Actually, no, they don't pay these people fucking mm-hmm. anything." Yeah, I mean that's the thing. Like, I think part of it because it you know it's become. I almost cliche at this point to complain about the amount of CG that is, is constantly used now in fucking everything in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. But a big part of the problem there is not entirely that everything is CG, although you can get into a whole film theory thing about whether that's good or not. It's that you're getting bad CG because they don't pay the VFX workers anything and they run them absolutely ragged. So this is a a coming out of a a really interesting report in the guardian because like, so we, we covered last year a decent amount about the really tough conditions faced by workers in the film industry when we were covering the potential for a strike by IATSE, which is of course the union that represents the vast majority of, uh, I believe what is usually termed below the line, uh, production workers. You, so you've got your mm-hmm. sound folks, your lighting folks, your production assistants, all the folks that make the movies actually happen. Except... Yeah, a movie isn't just five actors and a director playing ping pong for eight right, hours. Right, right. <laughs> and, and so, but there's a big exception there, which is that the workers who make all of the, the visual effects are not part of that union. Right. Which, of course, means that all of the production companies are like, ooh, cheap labor. <laughs> Let's exploit that as much as we possibly can. And like the, one of the workers that, they, that the Guardian interviewed said, quote, we are the only major department currently working on every film set in America that is not unionized, is not organized, and is not covered by the same general basic agreements and all that entails for every other person on that set. Every other department has sort of built-in safeguards for everything because there's an entire system in place to protect people from being taken advantage of. And, like, not only is that true, uh, the results of it are pretty tough. Like, because even the workers in IOTC, Mm -hmm. as we described last year, can face some pretty tough conditions just because of how, like, the culture in filming is now, it's, it's basically like... You, even if you're union, you're working 12, 14 hour days because you've got this super compressed schedule and you got to get the shots out. And, but because you have a union, you know, you've got good benefits, you've got good wages, you've got a real career, you probably even got a pension. Whereas these workers are working those conditions with none of that protection whatsoever. Like extreme overwork is incredibly common in the industry. And unlike the rest of the workers, they're not getting the same like wage material benefits from it. Like, Workers told The Guardian that they they face 18-hour days, including having to sleep in their office without any of the, you know, the wages and job protections that a union contract would offer. And that is what has prompted so many of the workers in visual effects to start a movement literally just called the Visual Effects Union to try and bring these workers into IATSE alongside the rest of production workers. Well, and this is long overdue. I mean, one thing that uh, I, I've read about is video effects and, and it, video editing and production generally. Uh, the, to get into that industry itself is basically doing a ton of free work. Yeah. Like the way that you get any sort of resume is cutting videos for internet people and, and, and doing tons of work for free just so that you can get any sort of credibility so that you can maybe one day work 18 hours and have to sleep in the office. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, exactly. And I, it's funny. Cause I was actually just, 
I was just watching last night a documentary about uh, Phil Tippett, who is this legendary stop motion artist who, I mean, he worked on all the original Star Wars movies. He's worked on a million. He he did the, the, all the creature designs for Starship Troopers. And one of the things that he Mm -hmm. talked about in that movie was after they did Star Wars was trying to figure out, he's like, well, I do this stuff and it's great and I love doing it, but like, we don't have a union. So how do we even have like normal, like working conditions, like all the other production workers. And so like that went into this whole history, but that was something that I was just, you know, after reading this story, I was just like, man, this has been a problem. This is not just new because there's so much CGI going on. This is a multi-decade long problem. And it's really like good to see that this happening, but it's one of those things that I'm just like, it should, I feel like it should just be obvious to like almost everybody who is in the industry. It's like, why aren't these people in IOTC? <laughs> like they clearly right. should be. It doesn't make any sense that they're not. Um, it, but obviously, of course, the studios love it. They love that they can, you know, hyper exploit these workers. They can make them work insane hours that nobody can do while paying them dog shit. And so, of course, they're going to push back against it. But I mean, this, you know, per this article in The Guardian, you know, there's been a lot of interest along a lot of these big, like, production studios. And, uh, you know, IATSE, of course, themselves have, 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 are working with these folks to try and bring these workers into the union. So, I mean, this is setting up to be a pretty decent, you know, contract fight to try and bring these workers in because, I mean, as more and more productions in Hollywood rely more and more and more on visual effects these workers only become a larger and larger percentage of the vital workers needed to pump out everything that Hollywood produces. And so, you know, it's, it's really important that they get brought into IATSE. And so it's very good to see that there's a real solid push being made now. And so we're definitely going to be watching it to see when they actually get to that point where they hit critical mass and they can try and have an election because, uh, I mean, this is a really big hole kind of in that union environment. That's otherwise been one of the few, like, strongholds of, of, of union activity in the U.S. Uh, absolutely. And uh, we're going to be talking about, you know, other people who, I guess, tend, tend to work in California. I mean, well, I mean, the video effects workers tend to work in California. These workers definitely work in California. Uh, so Amazon workers in Modesto, California, have decided to affiliate with the Amazon Labor Union, uh, expanding the the drive the ALU drive to the ONT8 facility the union held press conferences saying that they were affiliating with the ALU uh, about 100 workers gathered to celebrate the news on Friday the 9th uh, with Chris Smalls in attendance. So uh, Chris Smalls said at the time, uh, today we're bi-coastal. This is something that's really going to continue to grow just like Starbucks. Then workers at the warehouse are basically organizing for like the same issues that we've been talking about at so many Amazon facilities, whether it be wages being a problem, no benefits, the incredibly dangerous working conditions, the constant firings based on whatever arbitrary metrics Amazon has come up with this six-month period, this quarter, because you know every single quarter they got new intensifications that they're trying out to make everybody's lives fucking miserable. Yep, so you you have uh, one of the workers, Nanette Plasencia, who's been leading the organizing effort on the ground, who told the LA Times, quote, I've been there 
there for so long that I gained a lot of friendships there and a lot of my friends were hurting. Right now we break our back for nothing. After this, they'll have so much. So she originally founded a group, United for Change, ONT8, at the start of the pandemic trying to advocate for safer working conditions. But after seeing the success of the ALU in New York, reached out to join their movement instead, saying, quote, they felt us, they felt our pain. Only people who work in Amazon are going to know how it really is and what you really need to do. You got to think outside the box with Amazon because they're a different breed. You can't be conventional with them. And I think that that's a really, you know, astute observation because people have been saying since the ALU's initial success that like it was due in large part to their what would be now considered relatively unconventional organizing methods, although they were popular at one time, uh, that they actually got to that point in the first place. Yeah. And so, like, I actually just thought one of the parallels here with JFK was very interesting because, like, you know, Chris Smalls originally started organizing around safer working conditions during the beginning of the pandemic. That's what he got fired yep. for. Uh, and and out of that grew, you know, the Congress of Essential Workers and then into the Amazon Labor Union. And so you have the same thing here where 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 Nanette Plasencio here, which she started a group to try and do the same thing and then saw, hey, what those folks in the ALU are doing makes a lot of sense. And I think we should hook up with them on that. And so this is great because like, even though, you know, We've seen some failures by Amazon in their attempts in court to try and delay the certification of JFK 8. The biggest strength that we're going to be able to give the ALU to actually be able to survive the anti-union onslaught is expansion by having it go because like, you know, the second vote in Staten Island didn't go so well, but now they've got uh, affiliates in Kentucky, in Albany, and now here in Modesto. So I mean, in addition to obviously wanting these individual elections to go through for the workers at those locations, it's also so important to get those second, third, fourth unionized locations because it makes it much harder to crush the, you know, that union movement when it's at multiple locations. So, uh, I mean, this drive is, is just, they're really kind of just getting started here. They hope to hit a critical mass and file for a official election next year. But of course, you know, we've already gone through so many times the, the union busting campaign that Amazon is sure to roll out here. So uh, I would, I would expect this will be a, a long fight, but very, very welcome news to see the ALU expanding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and staying in California, we're going to be covering a new bill that has been passed in the uh, in the state government, which creates a fast food council, uh, which is you know out of the Fast Recovery Act (FAST) in all caps, where basically the state is saying uh, fast food workers need additional um, additional supports. Uh, and so they've created this kind of board, which is going to be comprised of 10 different people appointed by the governor and some of the other state uh, state's representatives, uh, where, you know, there are going to be four uh, worker representatives to what presumably actual workers to most likely worker representatives like a union representative and then uh, four people from capital and two people from the state. Uh, which, you know, I think that my analysis of this is that it's good, but it's also very much so in that same vein of like the neutrality agreement with Microsoft and that like, you know, there, we really should take this with a big grain of salt. 
Well, and to explain to folks like what this board is for, because uh, traditionally one of the things that's been the biggest, one of the biggest hurdles for work, for unions and workers trying to unionize in the fast food sector has been the franchise system. Because yeah. uh, except for a very short period, like under with the NLRB under Obama, where there was a temporary period where they had what we were talking about before, they had this the joint employer rule, which made it a little easier to organize workers across multiple locations diff- with different franchise owners, but under the same corporation. Uh, it's traditionally been very difficult to organize in the fast food industry. I mean, that's why pretty much the only union fast food places are like Burgerville in in the Northwest who were organized by the IWW and that took like five years. And the very recent Chipotle union in Lansing, Michigan, which is very cool. Um, but so what this board is basically aiming to do is essentially try and resolve some of the worst exploitative conditions within the fast food industry by sort of rather than trying to push worker, trying to make it easier to unionize, which I think we would be a bit more unambiguous in our support for, uh, it's instead creating this sort of regulatory board that is empowered to impose minimum standards on the fast food industry, specifically relating to things like, you know, wages, benefits, hours, working conditions, that sort of thing. And so this bill has been, you know, really strongly supported by unions, especially the SEIU and their Fight for 15 campaign. Uh, they, they specifically called it, the bill, a, quote, watershed moment in the nation's labor history, giving more than half a million low-wage workers in the fast food industry a meaningful voice on the job, end quote. And so this is kind of viewed as like a, an alternative path to sectoral bargaining. Because like in the past, if you just had, it's like, here's McDonald's and they own, I don't know, 2,000 locations in California or whatever, and they're all under the same company, you would try and organize the McDonald's workers' unions. But with Mm -hmm. the issue with franchising, you now have 2,000 individual locations you have to go to, which is very, very time and resource intensive. And so this idea is, okay, the franchise system makes the traditional NLRA process very difficult. So what if we created a statewide board that had the ability to basically impose a lot of what we're trying to get with our union contracts, but to the whole industry entirely? And so, like, the bill theoretically allows the council to set higher minimum wages all the way up to $22 an hour uh, above the the current minimum 15 in the state. Uh, They can also recommend things like uh, requiring that all fast food places have to offer their workers mandatory sick time, other benefits. But I think one of the places where we're a bit cautious on this is that those are what the board can recommend. But as Lena was, you know, describing, like, we don't know that's what the board will actually do because only four of the board's 10 members are more or less assured to be in favor of those sorts of improvements for the workers. Four of them are are 100% guaranteed to be against any changes that are in favor of the workers. And the other two being direct employees of the state doesn't really give me a lot of confidence that they're going to come out here and start advocating for a $22 an hour minimum wage for fast food workers, even if that's absolutely what they should have. Yeah. Well, and I imagine when I was first 
hearing about this is before I found out that, you know, it was going to be on like, you know, weighted against the workers and entirely appointed by the state. I was like, well, if this is a board of 10 workers, why don't they just raise the wages to $22 an right. hour, right. give people a week's worth, a week or two weeks worth of sick time and then, you know, dissolve the board. Uh, right. <laughs> but obviously that's not what's going to happen. There's going to be like a real negotiation and labor struggle going on here where the workers are going to get probably a couple dollar an hour raise maybe two sick days and you what instead of coupons for non-stick shoes free non-stick <laughs> shoes yeah yeah i mean and the funny thing is despite our reservations any intrusion into the the dictatorial power over the workplace that the franchise owners have is seen as a complete affront uh I, there was a quote in the washington post from the in the International Franchise Association, which I'm just going to go ahead and <laughs> declare them enemies of the show. Um, we have yeah. finally discovered something worse than an HOA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they called the bill a, quote, a fork in the eye to franchise owners and customers at a time when it hurts most, end quote. Oh, won't you think uh, of the poor franchise owners? <laughs> Fuck off. Every time. Oh, no, you forked me in the eye. I'll do it again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and so, you know, we get the same refrain that we get every time. There's literally any, like, regulation whatsoever saying this is going to drive many franchisees out of business, that, you know, the restaurants will have to pass on these increased costs to their customers, despite, again, Millions of studies having shown that an increased minimum wage does not lead to a, you know, massive rise in prices. That's a lie that is thrown out there by low-wage employers to try and force labor costs as low as they can. And so in response, the business owners in in the International Franchise Association (laughs) are already working hard to get a ballot measure on the uh, 2024 ballot in, in California to basically do an end around of this, this legislation in similar to how Uber and Lyft use that same process to get prop 22 passed, even though that wasn't mm-hmm. later ruled unconstitutional. But so they like, they're already incredibly mad and trying to subvert this new law. So uh, under their own new business front or organization, protect neighborhood restaurants which oh think oh they they're, they're, they're like instead of the franchises the thing of the small business owner this is only gonna hurt <laughs> yeah. what about the small fast food owners the the neighborhood rest when i hear the term neighborhood restaurants the first thing i think of is the fucking burger king down the road like the the, the subway <laughs> in the gas station yeah like yeah come on who's gonna Caddy give a corner shit about from that? the burger king yeah so anyways <laughs> Uh, even with our like you know reservations on this because one of the things that i immediately thought of when i read about this is the way that in germany like for instance corporations are required to have worker representatives on the board but they're always minority representatives so it's they can always just get out voted so it's one of those things that i i do have a bit of concern on that it'd be like oh we did this through the state and it got us a couple of little teeny things, so we don't need to focus as hard on unionizing or real mm-hmm. sectoral bargaining when it's just like, that's the only thing that's ever going to permanently fix this, guys. So, like, yeah. this is good. This is, like, at worst, this ca- they don't pass anything, and the situation remains the same. So, But yeah. more and more likely, I think they'll recommend some insufficient 
but still better conditions for workers. So if maybe they don't raise it to $22 an hour for the minimum wage, maybe they do $17 an hour. And it sucks that they're not going to where they should go. But I think as long as we are like, look, this is good, but it's not enough. We need more. And that's why we need real unions. I think that's the orientation broadly that we're taking to this. Well, and and even then, I I kind of alluded to the fact that they're all appointed by the governor and, and the state, and and what I really wanted to point out there is that they can just go and handpick whichever you know, uh, union people are are like, well, I guess similar to what we're going to cover in the next story, where they think that there can be a such thing as a pro union business. Ugh, yeah, uh, yeah. So. Uh, I guess just going right into the next story to what you're talking about, Lena. So we did a shop floor discussion a couple of months ago about uh, CWA's neutrality agreement with Microsoft and how that was going to go. And so we broadly came away from it being very skeptical of it and concerned that it could lead to some less than wonderful consequences, but, you know, hopeful that maybe it would have some good outcomes. And so far, we have now gotten new word that it is, in fact, leading to bad outcomes, but not necessarily exactly how we expected. Um, Mm. So this is coming out of a report from last week in The Intercept, uh, where basically, so CWA is, of course, the union that is working to organize workers at Microsoft and, you know, through uh, things like a better ABK, working, trying to organize Activision. And and, uh, we've talked about this a bunch with the organizing in the tech industry. And so last fall, before the neutrality agreement, a later National Labor Federation that CWA is affiliated with, UNI Global Union, hired an NGO to produce a report on Microsoft's and other tech companies' long history of working on military and intelligence contracts. The idea being that this is not publicized that much, and as part of their campaign, they could expose, look at this bullshit Microsoft is doing, they're working with ICE, they're working with whatever, just basically revealing all the various contracts that they're working on. However, once the neutrality agreement was announced... The CWA pulled their support and nixed the report, concerned that it could upset the new arrangement and kill future union drives at Microsoft, which uh, is not the response you would want from a union. (laughs) Mm. I mean, like, there was a quote, there's a bunch of quotes in this Intercept piece, but, like, one of them from, uh, like, basically there's a lot of communications they have from UNI to this NGO. And and one was, quote, because Microsoft came out and did what they did in terms of respecting workers' rights to organize, we do not, we cannot be associated with this paper and its release, end quote. Which, like... Stupid. Yeah, like, okay, if the report was stretching the truth or something, okay. But just being like, well, this information's all true, and it's all bad shit. But it's controversial. Right, but we shouldn't be putting it out because what if Microsoft gets mad that we're associated with it? It's like, this is, that does go to one of the things that we were concerned about with the neutrality agreement, which is that it encourages class collaborationist thinking that labor and management can have the same interests, which they don't, and they never do, and they never will. And so thinking that way, like we need to cover for the company because the company is letting us unionize. That is poison like that sort of thinking because it is only going to walk you into the trap of complacency and is going to get you a union that is completely ineffectual so right and i mean mm -hmm. like this article that we're pulling from is written by lee fang who is definitely an anti-union ghoul 
And so, I mean, there. this is definitely meant to be a critique of, of CWA in like, oh, unions are all bad. But, I mean, really right. what we're talking about here is the history of class collaborationism and the issues of it. I mean, like one of the quotes that I found to be the most egregious was when an unspecified union official said, uh, no one could have predicted Microsoft would become, comma, seek to become a pro-union employer like that would have been like flying pigs, you know. I never would have predicted that, and that, in my opinion, is just indicative of of that class collaborationist ideology. And so, you know, fuck Lee Fang, but also, what the hell is going on with these these people in these unions and their stupid class collaborationism? Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's a sentiment, and it's a liberal one, where it's like, uh, are we really showing good faith with Microsoft if we? critique them if we support a perfectly legitimate critique of them that is completely uh, that their actions are completely heinous and it's like uh yeah i think failing to support that good faith critique that correct critique is a is a show of bad faith but not to microsoft but to the workers that constitute your union exactly exactly and that's the problem because like the the article i think you know because of the author goes further in the critique mm-hmm. than I think is warranted. It essentially implies that the reason that the CWA quashed this is because they're worried about losing dues money from potential like <laughs> uh, future unions. Which I'm like, come on. Like you, you have a perfectly idiot. valid critique in here. And then they throw that shit in there to be like, see unions are just out there to get your dues money. Unions are corrupt. Just like the government's like, no, shut the fuck up. Like, <laughs> if this union was principled, they would release this as a damning piece of evidence that they need the union. Right. And so that's the the issue is, is that like it, we're not saying that like the CWA is an evil organization like or anything. It's th- it's just that this sort of thing is extremely disappointing and frankly I think is damaging to CWA's efforts to organize in tech because the thing is tech workers have been fighting against these sorts of of contracts the 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 of, of their companies being involved directly in US imperialism since before they were involved with the CWA. Like, we've seen walkouts at Google. We've seen walkouts at Amazon. We've seen walkouts, I think, even at Microsoft from tech workers before the CWA was involved in this. So the workers themselves want to know this stuff. And sure, some of them may be like, I don't care. I think this is fine. But, like, it is it is fucked up to hide the, to try and hide this information from the public mm-hmm. eye and, more importantly, from the workers themselves in order to try and like smooth the, your relationship with the employer whose relationship you need to be thinking of as adversarial at all times, no matter what they tell you. And that's the exactly. issue. I think there's a podcast who has a catchphrase about that. <laughs> I don't remember what they're called. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, maybe we'll come up with it later. But yeah, uh, yeah so, we'll figure it out. <laughs> It'll come back to me in the shower. I mean, look, uh, <laughs> we, we still really want to see more unions at Microsoft. With Including the CWA. With CWA, yes, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. This is not like if you're in the CWA union, destroy your, <laughs> like throw up your union card because they did this. No, it's just that like in our pursuit of union democracy and for unions to be representative of the workers and actually for the workers, they can't be doing shit like this. And so we need to talk about it when it happens. Well, so, I think what we would say is get in that fucking union and change it. Yes. Like 100%. go in there and, and tell them that they're being silly. That, that this, is a, <laughs> this is a, this is a, this is a darn goofball activity. That's right. So really what we're saying is 
<laughs> we're not mad CWA. We're just disappointed. That's right. Yeah, come on. <laughs> but, uh, so let's move with that to our weekly Starbucks segment where we, I mean, we covered last week the uh, Starbucks being forced to rehire the Memphis 7 uh, and then immediately firing the uh, six people in Anderson, South Carolina. Well, the appeal that Starbucks was attempting to do on the Memphis 7 firing, uh, the U.S. 6th District uh, U.S. Court of Appeals ruled on Tuesday the 6th that Starbucks's appeal would not likely, would not, uh, would, would not show a likelihood of success and thus, you know, had a motion to delay the reinstatement of the workers denied, which basically means, uh, fuck you, Howard Schultz. Uh, not, not even the court. But like we, we kind of warned that the court might be, uh, you know, it's one of the places that's less, uh, likely to end up with a pro worker, uh, ruling. But in this case, I guess they said, uh, you know, the NLRB said it and that's final. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and hearing from the workers, I mean, you have Nabretta Hardin, who's one of the Memphis Seven, who said in a statement, quote, It is a shame that we have to take this route to get our jobs back. We have proven once again that it is a protected right for workers to express how they feel about their workplace and how they can be better for us. We all can't wait to go back to work and show Starbucks that we have a right to be there and we will continue to fight for our rights. Yeah. Hell yeah. And, and of course, despite being defeated in court yet again... <laughs> They, they couldn't, you know, leave it without uh, a stupid, smarmy, like, underhanded response where mm-hmm. Starbucks put out this statement, which honestly I think is kind of an embarrassing statement to issue. I'm just like, just take the L, guys. Like, where they come out and they say, quote, We are concerned that this ruling sends mixed messages to our partners about appropriate behavior in the workplace and sets a worrisome precedent for employers everywhere who need to be able to make personnel decisions based on their established policies and protocols, end quote. Get radical. Get radical. Just go out (laughs) there. The NLRB said it's fine. (laughs) No, wait, don't do that. Never mind. Yeah, I mean, they're just like, they're so obviously wounded about this. And I just wish I had like a, a, a Nelson from The Simpsons ha-ha soundboard <laughs> right now. Because <laughs> like, that's really how I feel. Just like cry about it, nerds. <laughs> Fuck you. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's it's just so ridiculous. It's like, you're, you're committing rampant union busting everywhere else. You lose one case and you still have to complain about losing it. Like shut the fuck up and stop, stop firing your workers. But yeah. Yeah. So in addition to that L, um, you know, strikes have continued, uh, at, at Starbucks all around the country this week. Uh, there are workers at the 75, uh, five, uh, Mount Auburn street location in Watertown, Massachusetts began an inf- indefinite strike of their own, on Friday, September 9th, in addition to the 874Com Ave store, which has been on strike for like two months, I think now. Um, and specifically the workers at the store in Watertown are protesting the retaliatory firing of two worker organizers and to echo every story we talk about every week, the constant understaffing by management intended to force out other pro-union workers. So... Again, as always, so good to see workers standing up against this stuff. I mean, we saw the coordinated, like, what was it, a hundred different sip-ins over Labor Day weekend. That was huge. Mm -hmm. There's been strikes all over the place. So 
you know, it, even as, you know, Starbucks's union busting escalates and as like the pace of union elections slows down a bit, the pace of the workers standing up against that union busting and doing it in more and more organized fashion has not slowed down at all. And that's been really inspirational to see. And so, um, but moving into the election results, uh, only had a few this week. Start with a unfortunate and really kind of sad loss where, the, I mean, this one I was disappointed to see. This one attacks Dan personally. It, I was very excited to, to be like, hey, my state's finally on the board. I'd, I'd, you know, I've gone over to that store once to be like, hey, I don't drink coffee, but I support your union drive. Um, and so we had, in, here in Rhode Island, there was one store that had filed for unionizing a while ago, um, and they finally had their election. This is in Warwick, which is just south of Providence. And they lost their election in a 9-9 tie, which first off, this just gets into something very important, which how the fuck does a tie go to the company? Like, the workers are the underdog in these elections 100% of the time. A tie should go to them. Like, mm-hmm. so, I agree. I mean, this sucks. Uh, it's very unfortunate, but, you know... I'm sure that the workers there will, you know, eventually be able to try this again. I mean, again, they came one vote short. There's no reason why in the future they won't be able to unionize or other stores in the area. So, yeah, why does a fucking tie go to the house anyway? What is this blackjack at a charity event? <laughs> Come on. I mean, it's just a very good <laughs> illustration because that's the obvious example, right? The tie goes to the dealer yeah. thing and it's just like, well, casinos are rigged. I wonder what, if this system that also does the same thing is also rigged. <laughs> yeah, but also, I mean, my heart goes out to the workers there because that 100%. store is going to become incredibly adversarial. For, like, for sure. Like, it's. I'm sure that the that there is a going to be a deep, deep mm-hmm. uh, disgust between the workers themselves with this particular loss. Yeah. So, I mean, hearts go out to the the workers at the Warwick store. Very unfortunate, but uh, I am sure that there will be more filings in the area and we will get Rhode Island on the board at some point. So, um, however, in addition, in, in addition to that loss, there have been multiple wins this past week, including two in New York where, uh, workers at the Wontog store on long Island won their union vote 20 to seven. I think that was the first win on long Island. Although it's one of those things that I'm never sure because I'm not from New York. I'm like, does, does Brooklyn count as being on Long Island? Because like it physically no is, but like, but anyway. Listen, so why won- don't you jump in the Discord and tell us? Because you <laughs> always do. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. So they won their union vote twenty to seven, and then on Wednesday last week, the first store on Staten Island to unionize unionized, and they didn't just become the first store by a small margin. They unionized unanimously at the Forest Ooh. Ave location, fifteen to nothing in favor of joining the Starbucks Workers United movement, which is, again, still hovering around 235 unionized stores. Hell yeah. Well. More like Stanning Island, because we (laughs) stand. And with that Uh, joke, we're going to move directly into the meme review. (laughs) That's right. With jokes made by professionals. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, This first one is a, a... a multi-panel comic in a way that we don't usually see multi-panel comics. So we have like a long panel and then a three panel and then a long panel and then a two panel. So in the top one, they have your basic description of what's going on. They point at this worker with a stick on his head and a carrot held to the end of it where the worker is the worker. The, the stick is profits 
and real wages uh, a real wage rise is the carrot and they've got 2005 where the carrot is kind of close but the person is still not getting it 2010 the carrot is slightly further away the stick is getting longer profits are increasing 2015 oh my gosh this stick is really long and then 2020 where it has gone so far as to be able to see a big wig CEO smoking a cigar just staring right at the carrot and the worker is no longer reaching and is very exasperated then uh Oh, I guess that was 2020. And then the 2022 is where the worker has broken the stick. The the CEO is doing screaming pig uh, face. <laughs> and then 2023 is where all of the workers have gathered the sticks from the long broken stick and are chasing all of the cigar smoking CEOs. And uh, we're seeing a little bit of a uh, what we would call the cool zone of class struggle. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I I don't know. I'm a big fan of this one. Like, I love that, like, the first panel where you've got the workers, like, it's got, like, a very encouraged kind of, like, very cute expression. Like, I'm going to get that carrot. And then as it gets further <laughs> yeah. and further away, he's just like, hey, what the hell? <laughs> and then eventually he just gets so incredibly fucking mad. <laughs> and then just seeing, like, this horde of, uh, of workers with, like, what look basically like yardsticks just chasing you know, the big wigs in their pinstripe suits. Very good, low, high quality agitation stuff. Yeah, Hell smash yeah. That, that profit and uh, go on strike. And then, uh, you know, I don't know. And then go get a fucking hot dog. <laughs> yeah. Uh, our, our, next, right. our next meme is of special interest to me, John, a guy who fucking loves hot dogs. <laughs> uh, but there's, one, there's a few things in this world I like better than hot dogs, and one of them is unions. And it looks like the rest of America is finally catching up to my correct opinions <laughs> because we have this meme from the Utility Workers Union of America, uh, who, and it's a very professional looking it meme, is. I must say. And it says across the top, labor unions now have a higher approval rating than hot dogs. Americans who approve of hot dogs, 70%. Americans who approve of unions, 71%. Eat shit, hot dogs. <laughs> I posted it, this and, and so many people replied, damn, now I want a hot dog. <laughs> Hell I, yeah. I actually... I actually made a hot dog after the first time I saw this. I, I actually also the next day made sure that we had a we do a fancy hot dog spread at my house sometimes where we have like you know freshly cut up pickles and shredded cheese and chili and sauerkraut and nice mustard and we do fancy hot dogs here in this house. <laughs> I, yeah, well, and I, I I will give it I will give hot dogs one thing over unions, which is that your employer doesn't usually pull out all the stops to prevent you from making a hot dog. <laughs> Unless it's a barbecue out on the strike line. Well, that's That's the thing. That's why you got to combine these things. I mean, to take a page from the ALU's book, when you're organizing your union, you know, one thing that might attract people to want to talk to you is if you will give them free hot dogs. Mm. That's true. That's true. I was was also just surprised to hear that 30% of Americans don't approve of hot dogs. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, I kind of get it. There's a lot of sayings about, like, you don't want to see how the sausage is made. And, like, then there's, you know, regular vegetarians. And then there's a few other factors. Yeah. I mean, I, I I could see why you wouldn't like hot dogs. I mean, I eat every kind of I, I eat fucking Vienna sausages. So <laughs> there's no there's no saving me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, and in something that we have been lucky, luck, lucky to avoid throughout this entire episode, all the way up until now, I've got some bad news, folks. We're doing some queen memes. Uh, <laughs> Uh, this one is a DeShare Zone. 
uh, almost certainly, although it's not tagged to Share Zone. It, it is. It, it's from to Share Zone's account. This was okay. this was by far my favorite of the <laughs> the memes going around when the Queen died. <laughs> yeah. So we're doing Dan's favorite and then my favorite. Uh, so Dan, I'll let you do yours. So this one is, it's a classic share zone joint. Very simple. You've got the picture of the queen there in one of her like goofy outfits. And you've got like all this fire in the background. And of course a skeleton. And then it's just captioned with like, what I love that he put this in like the sort of graphic that you would see on like, uh, an insert like advertisement in the newspaper for your local grocery store. Where it's oh, like, <laughs> and it's just like it's supposed to be this big happy text and then it just says world's biggest landlord down and then at the bottom <laughs> get a real job next time <laughs> <laughs> I, it does look like a magazine or, or a newspaper insert though I kind of expect it to keep going like this weekend at Holland Kia Sedona yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> I, I thought it, I thought you were gonna say an insert in like a DVD on the five dollar rack at the oh. checkout line. <laughs> I mean, oh that my god! Also oh, like or or you you wake up in the middle of the night on a beanbag chair and there's a DVD menu just looping in front of you, but it's the Queen surrounded by <laughs> skeletons in hell. <laughs> <laughs> well, I also like we didn't put it in here, but like where somebody took like that picture of like the McDonald's kiosk and put like her face mm-hmm. on it because like the morning message, and somebody's like they have trapped the Queen's soul in the mcdonald's kiosk she is damned to serve burgers for all eternity (laughs) (laughs) uh well and then to move to mine we have got this one where death is playing the crane game and uh death is going queen elizabeth ii is henry kissinger even in this thing and (laughs) i saw this and it just led me to to think that that when henry kissinger dies the u.s is gonna pop off like there is gonna be celebration in the streets there's gonna be a bigger (laughs) celebration than we've seen from any other celebrity death uh any other fucking fucking ghoul mass murdering asshole uh than than we've seen I don't know, in tens of years. We got Shinzo Abe, we got Gorbachev, we got the Queen. I mean, he's, come on, he's due. Super do telling my siblings' grandchildren, I remember the day Henry Kissinger died. Nine eleven forty five. It was like the whole country won the Super Bowl all at the same time. <laughs> oh man! Uh, and then this last one uh, is one that I just liked. Yeah, John, you haven't read one. Did you want to do it? I haven't read one yet. No, and I I actually watched a lot of Yu Gi Oh. Okay, I was gonna ask. I was was like, I think this is Yu Gi Oh. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So you have uh, uh, what's his name? Seto Kaiba, and he holds up the the card uh, that he's about to lay down, and it says, "Why don't you go live in a communist country then?" And then you see Yu Gi holding his card confidently, and he flips it around, and this is obviously his trap card or whatever, and he's like, "What do you think we're trying to do here?" (laughs) And then he sends Kaiba to the fucking shadow realm. <laughs> uh, I love that line when you like are talking about like the positive aspects of socialism or like what sort of plans we could implement here and people are like oh well if you hate this country so much why don't you move to a communist country and just be like and abandon my comrades and family I don't think so <laughs> <laughs> yeah although I'm always tempted to be like they're like oh well you know if you spent like two weeks in Cuba you'd be changing your tune like are you offering to buy me a ticket because please yeah <laughs> Hey, why don't we find out? You and me will split the costs on a trip to Cuba. You don't have to go, or I mean, get to go. Yeah. 
<laughs> Maybe it's funnier the other way around. You don't get to go or have to go. <laughs> but I'll hang out in Cuba. I'll eat some fucking ice cream, ride around in a classic car, and eat some wonderful home-cooked meals, and um, you can keep watching uh, that Lord of the Rings bullshit on Amazon. <laughs> don't, don't watch it. Seriously, pirate it. Even if you've got a Prime subscription, don't give them the numbers. Make them think that I'm just going to wait and... <laughs> The dragon I'm just going to wait until anyway. I, yeah, yeah. The new Game of Thrones show is all right. I, I'm just going to wait for until the uh, Lord of the Rings is uploaded to YouTube in a series of best moments supercuts <laughs> by an account that is in a language I don't recognize. <laughs> Hell yeah! Hell yeah! All right. Well, with that, we're going to wrap. Uh, if you want to support the show, we are entirely listener supporting. So go to patreon.com slash workstoppage and shoot us five bucks a month and you will get access to all of our overtime episodes, our shop floor discussions, like we mentioned, the one on Microsoft and the neutrality agreement. If you'd like to hang out with us, I we've been hanging out in the voice chat in the workstoppage discord now. So, you know, jump in the discord. The link is in the description of this episode. You can also support us by writing a five-star review literally anywhere. Do a whole mural. Uh, and uh, follow John on Twitter at FacebookVillain. Follow the pod at WorkStoppagePod. Listen to Beef Beef Lettuce. Listen to Red Game Table. And as always, labor peace is not in our interest. Solidarity forever. Hey, that was the line. John, that's what you were <laughs> talking about. That was it. You figured it out. <laughs> that's right. Solidarity forever. Solidarity, everybody. 